Let me uh, be another voice to welcome you again uh, to Liberty Church in the name of the Savior of sinners, the helper of the helpless, Jesus Christ. My name is Will Kenny, and as uh, Chip said, I'm one of the elders here at Liberty Church, and I got to be honest with you, that sounds kind of weird to say because in our culture, I don't even know what that conjures up if you're new to, to church. Um, what is an elder? You know, is it a kind of like a, a tribal elder kind of thing where you sit on a grass mat on the ground with a robe and a beard and dispense wisdom for the, for the village and justice for the village? Or is it just like an old person, like a, a grandparent or a great uncle or, or David White? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not a village elder, but I, I do have a drum and a shaker. Um, occasionally I have the privilege of preaching from the book that we love. And when Matt asked me if I would take this Sunday and he told me that it was this portion of the creed, I, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, I was ready and willing and anxious to take that on because I love to preach the forgiveness of sins. And God willing, our faith this morning will be nourished and strengthened. Let's bow and pray together. Father, I thank you that we who are your children have bold confidence to approach you through the blood of your son, Jesus. And I thank you that because you have forgiven and justified us by faith, we have access to your grace. I ask you, Father, to open up the treasury of your grace so that if there is someone here blind to their sin, you would graciously reveal it. If there is someone who feels that it is impossible that they can be forgiven, persuade their hearts that no sin puts them out of reach of your love proven on the cross. If there is someone suffering under the accusations of the devil or their own conscience for their past or present sins or the deep forebodings of their own heart, release them by overwhelming that spirit of timidity with the many precious assurances of the gospel of your grace. And if there are those who, professing their own forgiveness, are withholding it from others, help them to see that they must forgive their offenders if they are to claim your forgiveness for themselves. Father, sanctify this time and make it bear fruit in our lives for your glory. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. You didn't know it, but you've been invited to a rehearsal this morning. Not a wedding rehearsal, not a dress rehearsal, not a rehearsal for a concert that you're going to perform in, but instead a time of worship around the Word of God where we will rehearse together the central expression of the gospel in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. That's why I'm calling this sermon the gospel rehearsal. This sermon is timely for me. I have found myself struggling to believe my own confession of faith at a level where it affects my daily functioning. That doesn't mean I'd ever struggle to sign my name to this article of faith. And it doesn't mean that I waver in my faith that all my past present and future sins are forgiven, and they are many. But, 
But rather, what this means for me is that I still struggle to see the gospel penetrate and heal my, my deep daily sense of falling short of the righteous standard of God. I struggle to experience God's forgiveness as the permanent condition of my soul. And therefore, to live in the joy that results from experiencing his forgiveness. Because I'm reminded every day by my own conscience and by the accusations of the devil of the impact of my daily and cumulative shortcomings, especially on those I love. And I struggle to have the gospel rewrite the way my brain works so that God's goodness and mercy to me is not because I've done enough to deserve it, but in spite of how I have not deserved it. But it is through the richness of God's mercy in Christ. So what is, what is my purpose here exactly this morning? I want us this morning to understand what we are professing to believe when we say these words of the creed, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. First, I'm confessing that I believe in sin. Certainly, if you say you believe in the forgiveness of sin, you're acknowledging that there is such a thing as sin. Second, I am confessing that I believe that my sin can be forgiven. I want us to understand what this means. What are the implications of this? That our past, present, and future specific sinful deeds, words, and yes, even thoughts can be forgiven. And that God forgives our sinful nature that does always fall short of God's righteous standard. Third, I'm confessing that the gospel is not a set of truths that I once believed in the past in order to be saved, but truth which must be daily rehearsed in order to be liberated from the power of sin in my life. And lastly, I'm confessing that in the gospel, I am required and empowered to forgive my worst offenders and seek the forgiveness of others that I have wronged. In the gospel, forgiveness is not something that I can simultaneously claim for myself, but withhold from others. I don't get to cherish the consolation of it by faith, but refuse the admonition of it in obedience. So let's first read from the book we love, Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, and then we'll turn over to chapter 3 and read verses 12 to 14. If you're using one of those black Bibles, you could turn to just page 984, 984, or you can click on the listen uh, or the uh, sermon, I guess it is, in the, in the Liberty app. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities 
and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. In chapter 3, verse 12, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So first, I'm confessing that I believe in sin. For me, sin has never been an abstract concept. It's never been some theological compartment to put all the nasty stuff of this world into. What floods my heart and my mind when I think of sin is not, first of all, scriptures that I have read about it, but rather images of my life and my family that are sad and devastating, shameful and regrettable and ugly. Sin is visceral. It's deep, deeply felt in my being, and it conjures up very strong emotions. And, and, and mine has sights and sounds and smells associated with it. Images and recordings of my own words and actions impressed upon my mind and my memory that I wish I could erase. Discoveries of my own pride and selfishness, lust and greed and anger and jealousy. Half attempts by me to confess my sins, but still maintain my reputation before others instead of wholly owning my guilt. Revelations of how my sinful actions and words have hurt my wife and children, others I love, and even bare acquaintances. Memories of how devastating my own parents' sins were in my young life and how I feel them down to this day. The conviction in me is so deep that I would die for it. That, that me, that, that I, that you, that we, that my family, your family, Camp Hill, Allison Hill, all desperately guilty before God. We are all contributors, and yet at the same time, we are all victims. Contributors and victims. But it would be naive at best for me to assume that everyone here this morning believes this. This morning we, we confessed to believing in God, believing in judgment, and believing in sin. But do we, do you, functionally live your life like there is no God, no judgment of sin? And we do not, we do not need forgiveness because, well, there's no God, and there's no sin, and there's no judgment. The gospel is only life-changing to you if you believe in God, you believe in judgment, you believe in sin, and you believe your sins can be forgiven. And when God, judgment, and sin become so undeniable to you and I, then the gospel becomes the sweetest news ever announced. Yes, it becomes your saving grace every day. So what is sin? What is sin to you? Is it out there or is it in here? 
Is it something you use as a Christian to explain why people are the way they are? Or is it a deep cancer inside yourself? Sin, the Apostle John said, is lawlessness. God has given us his law revealed in Scripture as his moral standard, and his verdict is that every one of us has violated it. You, I, we collectively have broken the commandment of God, and on that objective standard, we are guilty. We're called transgressors, trespassers, debtors. The stain of our iniquities are so deep and so indelible that only the blood of God can clean them. And at a deeper level, the Bible says that our troubles are much more than committing sinful acts and breaking laws, but stem from hearts that are in open rebellion against God and hostile to him. The passage we read from Colossians said, we are dead, we were dead, dead in our trespasses. Sin has made us spiritually dead, spiritually blind, and spiritually lost. The only way this can be remedied is if we are born again. Regeneration, we call it. New birth. That is why our Savior said, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. The Apostle Paul skillfully lays out God's case against us in his his letter to the Romans. He said, we suppress the truth. We are without excuse. The wrath of God will be revealed against all unrighteousness. We have dishonorable passions, guilty of shameful acts and sexual immorality, greed, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossiping, slander, arrogance, boasting, disobedience to parents, unloving and unmerciful. We have bold persistence even when we know our guilt and encourage others. To follow suit. He says that we're without excuse. We have hard and impenitent hearts and are storing up wrath. And therefore, will, there will be tribulation and distress for everyone who does evil. He writes that God will judge the secrets of men's hearts. The secrets. In case we're still unconvinced after the first two chapters of his letter, he goes on in chapter 3, there is none righteous. No, not one, not even one. No one seeks for God. No one does good. There is not even one. We have all turned aside together, and there is no fear of God before our eyes. And in case anyone after all of that would still doubt that the verdict didn't apply to them, he says, now we know. That whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world guilty before God. These are weighty, weighty charges. And we are meant to feel their weight. The law we read in Galatians is a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. As you sit here, may I ask you who do not consider yourself a Christian, have you ever felt the weight of your guilt before God? If so, what do you do with that weight of awareness? I ask you, young, old, teens, 20-somethings, but do not feel the weight of your guilt 
Does this move you in any way? If it makes you somber, if it makes you get quiet, if it makes you feel like you just might be in trouble, then have I got good news for you. What a sad and hopeless sermon this would be if all I could offer you was that I believe in the confession, this confession, I believe in sin. But no, I'm also confessing that I believe in the forgiveness of sins, that my sins and yours can be forgiven. I don't, I don't take for granted, though, that everyone here believes this in your deepest being, that your sins can be forgiven. There have been times when I have been stretched between exasperation, the profound, profoundest grief, and resignation, hopeless resignation, as I have tried to convince some of the people who I, I have loved the most that their sins can be forgiven. I have sat with those weeping into their hands over their lives, spilling over with regret, but have felt utterly unable to do or say anything to change their disbelief that they could be fully forgiven and, and be empowered to forgive others. All this while my own heart of, God's, my, my, of my own experience of God's forgiveness is to me the sweetest nectar of the gospel that assures my heart of God's kindness to me who am equally full of sin. Try as I may, I just could not force the sun to shine on their cloud of doom. Without forgiveness, you're left only with regret, remorse, and even self-loathing for your own sins and bitterness, resentment, and hatred toward others for theirs. And you're caught between these two great crushing rocks. That there is no forgiveness is one of the devil's favorite lies and one of our conscience's favorite persecutions. And with it, they will, they will crush the hapless soul to powder. Judas Iscariot, the disciple who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, came back when he saw Jesus was condemned. And he said to the chief priests and elders, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But in his regret and self-hatred, he went and hung himself rather than receive the grace of forgiveness. I invite you with love and mercy, if this morning you are doubting that God can forgive some deep darkness that lurks away hidden in you, let me be a voice to softly but boldly call you out of that guilty, hopeless, lonely and dangerous place. Do you hear the voices shouting accusations to you of guilt? Do you feel they drag you before God and hurl your guilt at you to condemn you? The self-righteous Pharisees, they once did that to a woman caught in adultery. They threw her down in the dirt and publicly humiliated her and shamed her before Jesus. And Jesus, he silenced all the accusers of that woman. Because Jesus would become the one who took her shame and took her humiliation and took her punishment upon himself in his passion and crucifixion. We read in the gospel that Jesus stood up for the woman. And he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? 
She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and from now on, sin no more. The woman was guilty like you and me. But God sent his son into the world to take our guilt and its just judgment upon himself. You see, God, you see, the gospel is the good news that Christ was judged for my sin and that woman's sin and your sin. God himself became the sacrifice for sin. Because of it, he was humiliated before everyone, stripped naked and mocked. He was beaten and whipped until his body was unrecognizable. Then he was nailed to a cross to suffer a tortuous death by asphyxiation. This is how much he loved us. Not when you were clean and innocent, but guilty and degraded in your filth and in my filth. In our blindness and in our lostness and in our rebellion. If she could be forgiven, so can you. The same invitation of mercy is for you. The voice of the prophet Isaiah is still crying out, Listen, everyone who is thirsty, come and drink. You who have no money, buy and eat. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. The gospel invitation of Jesus is to, know that, is to those who know they are spiritually bankrupt. Come with your nothing. Come with your debts. Come laden with your sins and be forgiven. And when God forgives us, a legal transaction occurs. Our text said that when God forgives us all our trespasses... He forgives us by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. You see, Christ paid for all the legal demands upon you and me that our guilt incurred, namely that we should be judged and punished. He did this by becoming our substitute. In other words, he was judged in our place. And furthermore, Christ met all the legal demands of perfect obedience to God that we were required to give. And he has gifted both his sacrifice and his righteousness to me, to you when you believe. Christ, the Bible says, became the propitiation, which means the complete and entire satisfaction for our situation. And with that, God declares the forgiven person justified. In other words, declared by God to be right with him by sheer grace through the faith of believing. The reason the gospel is so glorious is it because it shows off the unbelievable love and the amazing grace of God for those who know they are guilty and condemned. Paul wrote to the, Corinthian, to, the, to the church in Corinth, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were justified. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Third, I'm confessing that the gospel is not just a set of truths I once believed in the past in order to be saved, but rather truth that has to be daily rehearsed in order to be liberated from the power of sin in my life. Sin, I'm afraid to say, was not cured once and for all when I believed the glorious gospel nearly 35 years ago. And neither were the forebodings of my own conscience and the feelings of condemnation when I sin. Neither was my, my way of relating to God on the basis of law instead of grace and thinking I I've, I've, have to become worthy of God's mercy and kindness. Neither was my identity as an orphan rather than as, than as a dear child of God who, will, who he will never forsake. And, and neither was my fear of judgment done away with permanently. Rather, these are things that I have to apply the gospel to every single day by way of rehearsing and reciting and believing. I want to share a, a powerful and compelling and, and hope-filled expression of how and, and why we must confess these gospel truths every day by a man named Milton Vincent in his little book called The Gospel Primer. Adam, do you want to put that, that slide up there? The gospel is so foolish, according to my natural wisdom, so scandalous, according to my conscience, and so incredible, according to my timid heart, that it is a daily battle to believe the full scope of it as I should. There is simply no other way to compete with the forebodings of my conscience, the condemning of my heart, and the lies of the world and the devil than to overwhelm such things with daily rehearsings of the gospel. I love that expression, overwhelm such things with daily rehearsings of the gospel. Overwhelm the reasoning of your own mind that argues against your free salvation. Overwhelm the misgivings of your conscience that your sins are truly forgiven. Overwhelm your timid heart that shrinks to believe in the abundant grace God lavished, not sprinkled, mind you, lavished on you. Overwhelm the lies of the world and the, and the accusations of the devil. Overwhelm your doubts, discouragement, and wavering faith with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Your sins are truly forgiven. John said, if anyone confesses their sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them. As far as the east is from the west, we saw in our liturgy this morning, so far has he removed your transgressions from you. The prophet Micah said, who is a God like you? Pardoning iniquity.
passing over transgression. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot and he will cast our sins into the depths of the sea. God demonstrated his love toward us while we were sinners. Christ died for the unrighteous. He will never leave us or forsake us. God is rich in mercy. If he didn't spare his own son, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You're adopted. You're beloved. You've passed from judgment to life. There's no more condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. By this we shall know, John wrote, that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. One commentator said, the word of God which acquits us must prevail over the word of our heart that condemns us. Be vigilant and be on your guard against the whispering accusations of the devil meant for your discouragement. In the book of Revelation, he is called the accuser of the brothers. He accuses believers night and day before the throne of God. And what are we to do with that? But to agree, with our, to agree about our sins, but point to the Lamb of God and his blood constantly as our complete satisfaction and overcome him with the word of this testimony. Rehearse these truths. Recite them out loud, recount them, and practice them so many times that these blessed truths of the gospel become second nature, become so familiar to you that they become ingrained deeply in your heart. This is a liturgy for living. Prepare them, have them ready at hand, commit them to memory, write them down, for these are vital truths we need every day as Christians. Lastly, we're confessing that when we say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, that we are admitting that in the gospel, we are required and empowered to forgive even our worst offenders and seek forgiveness from those we have sinned against. Again, we are both contributors and victims of sin. And in the gospel, forgiveness is not something that I can simultaneously claim for myself but withhold from others. I don't get to cherish the consolation and refuse the admonition. During part of the year, you know, we, we recite the Apostles' Creed. But the other part of the year, we pray together each Sunday the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. If you forgive, and, and, and in that we are praying, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. At the end of his instruction to us on how to pray, the only part of his prayer that he elaborated on or gave us any commentary on was this part. And he said, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. What a sobering statement from Jesus. One of the many reasons that we sometimes lack the sweet assurance that we belong to Christ is when we walk in disobedience to one of his commands. The Bible says, and by this we know that we have come to know him when we keep his commandments. I remember a time many years ago when I worked for my oldest brother. 
And because of the way I had been treated, my heart began to fill with such anger that I wanted to do him physical harm. I was struggling with this desperately. And yet I was reading my Bible one day, desperate for relief from this inner battle. And I read 1 John 4.20, which says, If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot say he loves God whom he has not seen. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit called me to obedience. And I had to choose to surrender my hate as an act of my will. My feelings did, all, did not all change on a dime. But with God's strength, my will empowered by God's spirit, it led my feelings in the right direction. We must not be governed by our feelings, but rather by the Holy Spirit. When we do the right thing and continue to think the right thoughts, then right feelings will eventually follow. Corey Ten Boom, who was a Dutch Christian and spent years in Ravensbrück concentration camp for hiding Jews, and who watched her sister Betsy and other members of her family die at Nazi hands, was holding a service after the war in Germany, telling of her faith in Christ. She tells this story of forgiveness. It was 1947 in a church in Munich that I saw him. A balding, heavy-set man with a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. And that's when I saw him, working his way forward against the others. One moment, I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor and the shame of walking naked before this man. I could see my sister's frail form in front of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, his hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How, how could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop dangling from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did in there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. 
I whose sins had been forgiven every day and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but it seemed to me hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition. That we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their formal, former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And, and, I, and still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness, forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, from the bottom of my heart. Where do you find yourself this morning? Are you being called to forgive? Are you holding on to bitterness and a lack of love for someone, but knowing clearly you are called to forgive? Ask the Holy Spirit for help. Lift your hand in the direction of obedience, like Corey Tenboom. Are you, are you at the altar of God, but aware of how you wrong others, but don't ask for their forgiveness? Do you struggle particularly with saying the words, I have sinned against you, I am sorry, will you forgive me? Ask the Holy Spirit for help and take that step in humility, for God gives grace to the humble. Do you not consider yourself a Christian, but feel newly aware of your sin and want to be forgiven? You can be. Come to Christ just as you are in repentance, and he will receive you in love and mercy. Are you a Christian, but struggling to believe the gospel at a level where it controls your mind, your will, and your emotions? Then it is time to purposely, purposefully tap in to what Peter called the precious and very great promises so that you will not stumble. We all need other brothers and sisters to help us in applying these truths. And I invite you to seek out community, tap in to community with them so that the gospel becomes a daily rehearsal.
Thanks be to God for his glorious grace of the gospel.